0: We started our morning message by a very simple parable that the Lord was giving about the king going to put on a big feast, a wedding feast for his son. And we know that the king represents the Godhead. The son is the Lord Jesus Christ. Those that are bidden early, uh, where the Jews he came unto his own and his own received him not and then uh, the Lord wants them to go out and, uh, to the highways and the byways and bring them in uh, anybody in fact in verse 10 of Matthew 22 it says so those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found here's what's interesting both bad and good And the wedding was furnished with guests. Now, one of the things that we have learned from studying the scriptures is that neither one of those categories, good or bad, is why people will go to hell. And uh, in the Bible, that's also called uh, being under condemnation or uh, being... who who will perish those are all things that end up in hell Uh, so good and bad now we usually find that criminals are on the bad side and the good people are the victims and the ones that try to do good or go to church or read their bibles or whatever but this is to show you that it makes no difference what kind of a person you were or even are when the Lord invites you. When the Lord calls, He says, "If you just come to Me, I'll in no wise cast you out." So I, I like that when it says the good and bad, because normal people don't think that God is going to save bad people, and uh, come to find out, it's that's the only kind He does save. They find that out themselves by the Spirit. Uh, taking God's word and bringing it home to their heart and convicting them or reproving them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So uh, that's verse 10. So then we are going to come down to verse 11. And uh, this is about where our morning service ended. We, uh, We were talking about the king coming in to this wedding feast after all the guests have been sum- summoned, summoned in. All the guests are there, uh, some from the city, some from the highways and byways. And it says he saw there a man that had not on a wedding garment. And of course, that's going to confuse people also because how did he get in there to start with? And we're, we're finding that there, there's not probably an assembly anywhere that somewhere within their midst, within their group, is going to be someone pretending, someone uh, hypocritical, maybe not even to themselves, but still after hearing uh, false doctrine or being taught a certain way, they feel that they're, uh, they're headed for heaven and that they're perfectly safe. But they're not. So here when it says he saw a man which had not on a wedding garment, the thing that we do know is even though the others in the party, all the guests that were ready for the wedding feast, uh, did not notice that this fellow was not did not have on a wedding garment. And we said that only God knows the heart. So we went to Hebrews 4.13. Let's look at that. Hebrews 4.13. Let's read verse 12 because that's so informative. It isn't what we're talking about, but it's just packed full of information. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, who's a discerner? God is. So it says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So, God sees one standing there with no garment, standing there naked, amongst the others that are all clothed with the new garment, the righteousness of the Lord Jesus. So, what comes up next? Uh, Verse 12, Matthew 22. And he said unto them, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And this friend, this person who was standing there naked, who was speechless. And of course, who wouldn't be standing in the presence of God? And that's another thing that people do not realize, that they are standing in the presence of God every moment of their life. God is not judging them. God is long-suffering with sinners. He's not punishing them uh he holds off sometimes for hundreds of years uh it can be a one generation after another of people who are ungodly and care nothing about the scriptures or about god and then uh, they may have a child uh, it could be a boy or a girl whom the lord intends to give eternal life to so that's why it says god is long suffering he lets sinners sin. He, most of the time, He does not interfere into their life. But when this elect soul does come along, God does interfere into their life, gives them spiritual thoughts, gives them sometimes frightful thoughts about uh, the judgment day, about hell, about eternity, about them not being prepared and about the awfulness of suffering forever the awakened sinner is going to learn a lot. He's going to learn that there is a hell and that he deserves to go there. So when Christ is revealed to the heart as their substitute redeemer, they can't help but praise him and thank him and always go back to the very thought that God has loved them from eternity and therefore in their time frame drew them to Christ. So since he was speechless, there is no word coming out of this sinner's mouth. But sinners, while they are in the body before they die and don't want any part of God, have some excuses. Like someone might say, well, I'm, my family's been poor and I'm not educated. Or uh, somebody else will say, well, I've led a very moral life. I haven't done anything that, that would send me to jail. And then there's uh, all of our young people, the school-age kids, even in through college, uh, too young to be serious. Uh, don't get serious about your soul because you might not even have one. And who, who knows for true and all that the, the garbage that Satan piles on. Young people and old people too, but particularly young folks think they've got to sow their wild oats. Before, uh, before even having a family, which is very terrible, too. Uh, another excuse is, is I'm, I don't think I'm elected, or, or my, my church taught me differently, or um, false teachers influenced me, or uh, I believe the doctrines of grace, uh, but I, I just don't see how they apply to me or how they apply to today. So there, there are mysterious verses in the Bible about those who are so close to being elect, uh, being believers. And one of those scriptures is Matthew 7 and 22. Matthew 7 22. will say to me in that day Lord, Lord have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works and uh, here they are they're coming up with uh, what they've done it's not just as bad as making excuses but what they have done to me is So much more than any of us could possibly uh, do in our lifetime, cast out demons in Thy name, done many wonderful works, or even prophesy. Prophesy Prophesying here could be preaching, could be just plain preaching. But uh, you would think those were great things. And then in verse twenty-three, the Lord says, "Then will I profess unto them." I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So, if that's what is called working iniquity, being in a religious field, it's works of iniquity because these people are doing it to gain fame, probably to gain money, uh, for show, casting out demons. Who told people to cast out demons? Uh, I don't see that anywhere in the in the gospel, or any of Paul's teaching to tell Timothy, uh, you go uh, cast out demons when you whenever you, it's never mentioned, and yet this is uh, uh, some folks trying to imitate the things that the Lord Jesus Christ did. Well, they too will be speechless when the Lord says, "I will prof- I never knew you." Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Their mouths are closed. There's no more uh, excuses for anything. And then in Matthew 22, verse 13, uh, it says, that then said the king to his servant, Bind him, hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Being bound means there's no freedom to do anything. Uh, outer darkness means you don't see anything. And uh, your conscience will bother you so bad that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you think back how many times the Lord, uh, in the message, invited you to come to Him, taught you, and it was uh, you willed not to believe. So in the long run, what's the worst sin of all? Unbelief. Unbelief is what will send them all to uh, to perish, all to receive their just condemnation. In other words, they'll end up in hell. Now, we said this morning that the father does the planning and choosing for the marriage and uh if it's the Father's will to save sinners through Christ, we find that the Lord Jesus Christ came to do the Father's will. So look at John six, verse thirty-eight. John six thirty-eight. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will. But the will of him that sent me, and this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. So evidently the Lord's thinking, maybe they didn't understand what I just said. So I'm going to repeat it just a little differently. Verse 40, So this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. It's very possible that that not only uh, includes everybody, but at that particular time there were thousands and thousands of people that saw the Lord Jesus Christ. He was here. He walked the roadways from one end of Israel to the other. He had a public ministry for three and a half years. So uh, it's possible that those right there he's talking to, if you see the Son and believe on Him, you have everlasting life. And they still, look at verse 40, when the Jews murmured because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And Christ uh, approves well of His Father's choice. The uh, Scriptures tell us that not only the Father chose, but the Lord Jesus Christ also chooses the same ones. Look at John fifteen and verse sixteen. John fifteen sixteen. He says, "You've not chosen me, but I have chosen you." And ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, and whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. We have another scripture then in one of Paul's letters that he says the same thing about being chosen. Well, let's take a look at it. It's in Second 2 Thessalonians 2.13. two thirteen. Second Thessalonians two thirteen. we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Now, this belief of the truth is not normal with people. So God gives them faith to believe the truth. And that's something we should be so thankful for every day of our life, to remember to thank God for giving us faith to believe. So choosing somebody back in eternity, hmm, it has kind of the sound of election, doesn't it? Well, election is generally ascribed to the Father. How is that? We'll look at Ephesians 1, verses 3 and 4. Ephesians 1, 3, and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Now that is a fact, that is an amazing fact, that most people are ignorant of, don't even know it exists. And why, uh, what's the end result? That we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Now I'm sure there's a lot of people who think this has to take place in this life. I've got to try, I've got to be better and better, and I've got to keep the law until I'm perfect. A lot of people say they're saved and they don't sin anymore. Are you kidding? Oh, not sin anymore. We see, we hear, we think, we're... we're we're still sinners. And that's why over in, in John, first John, he tells us, hey, if you sin, we got an advocate. Call upon him. Ask him to forgive your sins, and we can do that every single day. Alright, that's one scripture telling us that God chose a people. Let's see, there's another one, I think, Romans eight, verse twenty nine. Romans eight twenty nine. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Verse 28 there above that is going to tell you about God calling the ones that he chooses. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So God... Purposed to save so many out of Adam's race and God's purpose and will cannot be defeated or overcome or even uh, forgotten. Every one that God the Father gave to the Lord Jesus Christ back in eternity, every one of them will constitute a member of the body of Christ, of the Bride of Christ, of the Church of Christ, you call them all, means the same thing, to be part of the family of God. He has uh, he has determined that we should be adopted into God's family. And these are things that go way over our head. That They're so wonderful, just the very thought that God said, hey, I'm going to adopt you into my family. You're going to be different. You're not of the world. And yet, we know we don't deserve a thing. We haven't done anything, um, and God still is so good to us, so great to us. Well, let's look at First Peter one, verse two. First Peter one and verse two. Peter writing to some Jewish strangers scattered all over the Near East. In verse two, he said they're elect. Elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit's work to set them apart, to indwell that believer, and then they bring in Christ, into obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Elect, according to the foreknowledge of God. God chooses them, and so God knows all about them. It's his foreknowledge that in time when they become a person when their time frame arrives uh, God watches over them cares for them indwells them and then uh, finally reveals Christ to their heart now the father prepared the body of Christ so that he could be the bridegroom and marry sinners So look at Hebrews 10 and verse 5. Hebrews 10 and verse 5. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldst not, but a body hast thou prepared me. This body of the Lord Jesus Christ was given to him by the Father, was prepared for him, By the Father and all of that for our sake for him to become one of us and then of course words can't describe the joy that should should be in our hearts when it says we're we're headed for a wedding feast we're heading for a wedding period and now we can read that in Revelation Way there in the back, I think it's 19. 18. Yeah, Revelation 19 and verse 7 and 8 and 9. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife hath made herself ready. And I know free willers like to say, yeah, it's a man accepted Jesus and He's done so much. Hey, we haven't done anything. How do we make ourselves ready? By acknowledging that the Lord Jesus Christ is our all in all, and uh, we bow before Him with humble spirits, knowing we don't deserve a single thing, and yet here we are, going to be part of the bride of Christ, adopted into God's family, and have everlasting life, and have no more sin, because we're going to have new bodies then, anyhow. Verse 8, And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he said unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Blessed are we, who are going to go to the marriage supper of the Lamb. That is wonderful. Well, the Father made the first promise to Adam and Eve. And then uh, that's in Genesis 3.15. And then he kept the promise, and that's Galatians 4.4. So let's look at Genesis 3.15 just for a second. I know we all know what that says Read it many, many times. Genesis 3.15 And I'll put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. And her, the Virgin Mary, is the only one that's ever called her seed because every other person born in the world comes from man's seed. But this is her seed because she he was virgin born. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heels. Talking about the very first promise of a coming mediator, one who will bruise Satan's head. And then we we'll find in Galatians 4.4, uh, 4, tells us how this comes out. On page 17.18. Galatians 4, 4, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, as the seed of the woman, made under the law. Why? To redeem them that were under the law. That's all of us, that we might receive the adoption of sons. God so very, very careful in showing us. His great love and mercy to us, the gifts that He gives us. Well, no matter where they come from, the Father chose the bride and gave them to His Son. John 6.37 John 6.37 That's one of our favorite verses. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, how wonderful. And then the persuasion, the gentle invitation, and him that cometh to me, I'll in no wise cast out. That is super wonderful. And here's our last scripture. John 17 and verse 6. John seventeen six. have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were. The Father originated election. Thine they were and thou gavest them me and they have kept thy word. How could they keep the will? If they were given to Christ and Christ died for them, then whatever Christ accomplished is imputed to the believer so that's the only way the truth could be that they kept thy word because from reading the Gospels we see that none of them kept God's word and none of us do either and yet we're accounted as keeping God's word isn't that amazing why is that because we're in Christ we're also in the Father as we find out from uh, verse 22 and 23 in John 17 the most amazing chapter in all of the Bible and you find that <laughs> when the Lord Jesus Christ or God the Father or the whole God invite a sinner it's absolutely amazing because the sinner is so distasteful to God's nature God can't stand sin, and man loves it. And for God to save any sinner, pull him out of his sin, adopt him into his family, it's going to be great glory to God. Each and every one of us that God has redeemed, he will get glory because the object of his redemption, which is us ourselves, are so terribly unworthy to have eternal life. But thank the Lord, that goes along with it. Forgiveness of sins, eternal life, adoption into God's family, and a promise of a new body, they'll never sin. Wow. Does a believer ever have it made? Let's bow our heads. Father, again we thank you and praise you for thy word. Thou art, are so good to us and we thank you for the little spiritual understanding that we have we pray that thou will increase it day by day and knowing that one of these days you're coming back one of these days it will be all over and we will be rejoicing at thy side we'll be rejoicing because we're with thee for eternity Make this a reality to all of our people. Save those that need to know you. Quicken hearts that need to be quickened because time is running out and we just don't know, Lord. Don't know how much longer. But there are those we love and we want to see them come under the gospel. We pray this all in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.